You know, uh, there are reality shows today on TV about junk dealers, uh, people that go across the country looking for, uh, really it's antiques, looking for things that look like junk, appear like junk, but that are very, very valuable. And those people that do that and do that well are very smart and they make a lot of money. But junk is something all of us understand, isn't it? I mean, probably uh, in your house somewhere there's junk tonight or your dorm room or your home, your garage. And we understand that I'm not talking about antiques. I'm talking about stuff that probably needs to be removed and got rid of. We understand that. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tonight, we're going to look at junk. Not antiques or not... uh, not things that just need to be gotten rid of or thrown out in your, your house, but we're going to look at tough situations. We're going to look at situations in your world and in my world that, that are uncomfortable, that are bad, and that need to be dealt with. In, in fact, uh, here's the first big thought tonight. We need to deal, uh, we need to deal with sinful and wrong behavior. We need to deal with sinful and wrong behavior. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and read through verse 7 then explain this because this is an unusual passage. It's one, if you were just reading through at night, it may not make a lot of sense, but it has a lot of value uh, to us. Starting in chapter 2, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad? But you whom I have grieved, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share in my joy. Verse 4, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief... He has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. In verse 7, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive joy or sorrow. He wouldn't be not excessive joy for sure. You know, we started this study in Second Corinthians a few weeks ago, and we don't know if there was three or four letters actually written to the church at Corinth, and God intended for us to have two in the Bible. We're not sure at this point if Paul was talking about he had visited Corinth, and then he had visited them again, and maybe even written them another letter that was not for the Bible. But at any place, at any point, he had really let them have it when he did. He had really put it on them. He really told them how the cow ate the cabbage. Scholars disagree greatly on what this passage is talking about. Now, let me give you just a tip on good Bible study. Folks, read your Bible, period. Read your Bible, period. And always remember, if you have a study Bible, everything below the Scriptures is somebody's educated opinion. You following me? Now, here's the problem. If all you look at is one study Bible, if all you go to is one website to study a scripture, you get what? You get one view. I, uh, because I am a paid person and I have a lot more free time to do this than most of y'all, I, get, I have the privilege of looking at a lot of commentaries, a lot of, a lot of different studies 
on the scriptures. I probably looked at 16 or 17 different commentaries. Commentaries is study Bible on steroids, if you don't know what it is. This week to try, and I tried to look about at that many weekly to get a good grasp of the scripture. And it was almost split at 8 to 8. Half of them said that this is talking about an incident that happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me refresh your memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in the church in Corinth, there was a man who was sexually active and involved with his stepmother. Apparently, he must have been even living with her in a sexual uh, fornication relationship. We're assuming his dad was dead. And nobody in the church cared. <laughs> There's old Frank and his stepmom there. Isn't that cool? And Paul, through God, through Paul, went ballistic on him. 1 Corinthians 5. Read it when you go home. And uh, this guy ends up getting kicked out of the church. And that's, that's one theory what this is talking about. Another theory is, is that there was a group of people who had really been mean to Paul and attacked Paul, tried to undermine his authority and his leadership in the church, and that Paul is addressing that subject here. My belief is it's the 1 Corinthians 5 issue for several reasons. But the bottom line is this, whichever it was, there was junk that Paul had to deal with in the church. You shouldn't have to deal with junk in the church. How many of you, when you were 15, believed you never would have to deal with junk in the church? You do. But more importantly for many of you tonight... You have to deal with junk in your homes. You have to deal with junk in your extended family. You have to deal with junk if you're an athlete on your team or a coach or at your school or at your business or in the community. So when we talk tonight on this subject, we're not just talking about church issues. We're talking about life issues. And all of us, especially as we we mature and we become leaders, we have to deal with and we're faced with sinful and wrong behavior, okay? Here's the first question to ask yourself when you're looking at it. Is it objectively wrong? Now, what do I mean by objectively wrong? Subjective means it's my opinion. Objective means it's clear black and white. You follow me on that? I don't like cabbage. I mean, you would have to be insane to like cabbage and spinach. That's what they're eating in the down. The word, Hitler's eating that tonight, in my opinion. <laughs> but that's what? That's an opinion. There are people here who aren't near as smart as me who like spinach and cabbage. But that's just an opinion, right? That's not an objective truth one way or the other. Some of you think I'm crazy because I don't like it. But it's, it's an opinion. Objective truth is it, is it, if somebody just got under your skin because you don't like their hair or you don't like their shoes or they wear a cowboy's jersey and you think that they're really, something's wrong with them. Well, that's, that's, that's objective truth. It, is it objective or subjective? Now, let me tell you this, folks. When a guy is having sex with his stepmom and he's teaching Sunday school, that's objectively wrong. When someone is tearing up a church, that is objectively wrong. When someone is tearing up your family or your workplace, that is objectively wrong. But weigh it out. Is it your opinion or is this truly a sinful, wrong situation? Okay? And again, that's very, very important. Let me give you another example. 
Some of you may be really anti-tobacco. If your 45-year-old male neighbor chews tobacco when he cuts his yard, leave him alone unless you're his dentist. Okay? <laughs> leave him alone. I mean, he, he can do that. If your 10-year-old son's chewing tobacco, get on him hard. Amen? If your 30-year-old daughter's chewing tobacco, get on her harder. She's going to be on some Louisiana reality show in a few years. Teethless women of Louisiana who chew red man. I can see it now. They don't go to First Baptist. They go, we won't name the church. They go somewhere else in town, right? Okay, let me give you, let me give you another example of how this was wrong when I was growing up. Rock and roll music must have started with Elvis. That's way before me. And then the Beatles came along. And by the time I was born in the late 1990s, um, no, by the time in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, there was a real hard divide in the, in, among Christians. And my parents fell under that anything that was considered rock and roll was evil and sinful, okay? And that, that, that you had to either like country. Now, folks, when I was growing up, country, country today is more rock and roll. Country when I was growing up was Hank Sr. on a steel guitar, and it was painful, painful. <laughs> Kids did not like that stuff, I can tell you that. But see, here's what I heard in church. Here's what I heard from my parents. Rock and roll's of the devil. It's wrong, it's wrong, and wrong. Listen, I'm, I'm 14, and I'm listening to music, and I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with some of these songs. Nothing wrong with some of these words. That's just an opinion. And listen, it hurt people. When you get on a high horse and you beat something, and you say it's wrong, 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 and intelligent people can look and say, you know what? That's not true. You lose credibility with them. Now, if a song has got vulgar words in it, it is objectively wrong. If you're watching some video that's got Miley Cyrus in it, I bet you right now it's objectively wrong. When you're facing a situation at school, work, your community with friends, you weigh it out. Is it objectively wrong? Is this just my opinion? Do I not like the way that person, their deodorant? It just doesn't jive with me. Or is this really sinful, okay? Now, if it is wrong, it needs to be dealt with, okay? If it's objectively wrong, it needs to be dealt with. How many of you do not like dealing with issues? Some of you didn't raise your hand, and I'm going to hire you in the near future as my hitman around here. Most people don't like to deal with junk. It's tough. Now, here's what's funny. Paul didn't either. I've always assumed Paul was pretty mean. I mean, love, you know, now this is going to sound contradictory. Paul's very loving, but Paul is mean. I mean, you cross Paul, he's going to cut you. You know, he will take you spiritually to the mat, which he would have. But listen to what Paul says about having to deal with this stuff. Look in verse 4 of your Bible. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love. Now listen to the words here. Great distress, that phrase literally means to compress or to squeeze. Angina is a condition of the heart when you're not getting enough oxygen in your heart, which causes a compressing and squeezing in your chest. This literally is spiritual or emotional. And John and Paul said, as I think about having to confront you with the really wrong stuff in your life, you know what it does? It hurts me. 
He uses the word anguish next, which, which literally means, you'll like this, stress or anxiety. How many of you, when you know you got to deal with some junk, it gives you anxiety? Good. You are healthy, normal human beings. Paul said, man, when I think about having to confront you over the junk that you're bringing into this world that's wrong, I don't get excited and say, man, I'm just, I've been looking for a fight, and in the next business meeting, I am going to rip your head off. Paul says, man, it is stressing me out. I don't know what Paul did to, to relieve his stress. I'm sure he prayed a whole lot, but Paul said, I'm anxious about this. But folks, here's the deal. Courage is not being, courage is never a lack of fear. Courage is being afraid and going ahead anyway. And we're going to see more in a moment. When you've got a problem, you need to deal with it. Well, my kids have gone crazy. My parents, my adult parents have gone crazy. The situation in the church is about to get out of hand. The situation with my ball team or the situation with my friends or the situation at work is just, it seems like it's going, getting worse and worse and worse. If you're normal, you're praying it'll go away. Pray that it'll go away. But, folks, a lot of times trouble and junk situations are like a dirty diaper and a flat tire. They don't change themselves. Correct? Bad illustration, but the absolute truth. Baby cries. Baby has a dirty diaper. Oh, God, please, oh, God, change that diaper in Jesus' name. Amen. I've never heard it working. Okay? You don't want to, but you have to deal with it when there is an objectively wrong problem. Now, here's the second thing. Man, this is really good. The goal is always, always for things to be made right. Man, this is, this is good. And this is so important. This is so important. You see, here's what we have a tendency to do. We go into a confrontation wanting to prove to people we're right. Amen at any point. Or here's what happens sometimes, and this is, a, this is crude, but we just want to go in and, and emotionally vomit on people and just dump all our bad feelings on them. Or we want to beat them down. Or, or worse, we want to embarrass them. And every bit of that's from the devil. Eugene Peterson, who's the guy who translated the wonderful Bible, The Message. Do any of y'all have The Message? It's a copy of the Bible you need to get. It's a very, very interesting, good translation. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. He says, the gospel work, the gospel work is not to just try to expose people. The gospel work is not to try to just shame people. The gospel work is not a witch hunt. The gospel work is to redeem people. It's to redeem people. Look in verse 5 through 8. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Look in verse 8. I urge therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Paul's heart was always for the situation to be made right. And we'll see in a moment, it's not always possible. But you have a problem in the church, the, the, situ- the goal is always redemption. 
The situation in your family is always redemption. The situation at work is always for things to be made right and everyone to be happy and to do what's right. The goal with your friends or on your sports team is for things to gel and, and for things to be brought together. Amen? That's, listen, that's the God part of the confrontation that's left out of the world. You watch those crazy people in Washington, D.C., Man, they're not, they're not for getting along. They're for winning at any cost. And we're paying the price for it. We'll see in a moment we pay the price when we don't get this thing right. The goal is always redemption. Now, here's the next part. If they don't repent, they've made their choice and your choice. And this is very important, too. Because you always want people to get it. You always want people to say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I messed up. Forgive me, let's make it right. That happens in heaven every day. It doesn't happen on earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, apparently, this person originally did not repent. You know what they did? They kicked him out of the church. You're not going to get it right. Oh, we should never do that. No, no, no. You got to deal with it. He wasn't willing to repent. They removed him from the church. Years ago, I had someone come see me who was mad at me because the church I was pastoring and had to let someone go, and a staff member. And um, I was young then. I'm very young now, but I was younger then. And, and uh, the person sitting across from me was, was maybe not old enough to be my grandfather, but he was old enough to be an old uncle, uh, an older daddy. He had me when he was 50 or whatever. Um, and he was very condescending, and he, uh, he said, I worked for a boss for years who never had to fire anyone. And I bit my little tongue, and I didn't say a whole lot. But I kind of wish I would have said, you really had a bad boss, didn't you? You can't manage and lead a lot of people at some point having to let someone go. That's called Fantasy Island. Now, here's what a lot of companies do. We're not going to let you go. We're going to put a gun to your head, and we're going to pull the trigger unless you resign. Now, do you resign happily? Oh, yes, I resign happily. Part of life is some people will never get it. Someone told me people, some people learn by hearing, some learn by experience, and some never learn. At some point, you have to, people don't repent. Listen, now this, is, this is really important. If people don't repent, they've made their choice for us, okay? An example, my oldest daughter, I hope she's not listening tonight, but when she was in high school, had a, the Greek word would be a small rebellious streak. But here was a funny thing she did with her curfew. We'd say, Julie, we want you to be in at 1130. Three weeks in a row, she'd come in at 1140. Now, not two in the morning, not 1230, but 1140. So about the fourth time, we said, now, 
we understand you've listened to a lot of loud rock music and you may not hear well, so let's write this out, 11.30. Next week she comes in, guess what? 11.35. So we say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to stay home with us for a couple of weeks on the weekend. Isn't that great? And, of course, that's never great. Is that ever good when you have to be with your parents on the weekend? Never. I mean, that's not purgatory, but it's close, right? Baptists don't believe in purgatory, but that, that's purgatory to a teenager. And then she'd get mad and she'd say, y'all have grounded me. You have grounded me. You're ruining my social life. And I said, nope, nope. We're not grounding you. You grounded yourself. When you made a choice not to do right, you gave us the punishment. Amen, parents? That's true at work. That's true at church. That's true wherever you are. If people don't repent, they've made the choice for you. You know, that's an important part of, of handling things God's way. Now, here's a great thing, though. If they repent, we forgive and restore as we can. We repent and forgive. We restore, and this is important, as we can. As you can. Verse 7 and 8. Now instead you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. I believe this is the 1 Corinthians 5 guy who has repented. And that biblical word reaffirm there is a legal idea of reinstating someone. In other words, the church probably as a majority voted to remove him from the church and now the church was voting as a majority to bring him back into the fellowship. What a great thing here. What happens in the church if you have to ask someone to leave? Well, sadly in the south they just go join another church and most of the time the problem's never dealt with. The goal would be repentance, and they come back to church. You probably don't want to make them a deacon or a Sunday school teacher for a few years. But you want to love them and you want to affirm them. How does this work out in your life? You have a problem with a family member. You have a problem with an employee. It may not ever work where they can work for you again. They may never be able to live in your home again. You may not need to date them again if they have been a complete jerk over a period of time. But when they confess and they repent, that restoration, full restoration to a former state may not be possible. What God's saying is you love them and you put your arms around them. You fellowship with them again and you do life with them again. See, isn't God good? See, God, what God says is, is that everybody at some point does dumb things, sinful things. And it needs to be dealt with. And if the person doesn't want to get it right, you've got you to make hard choices. They're making them for you. They make them. But listen, if they want to repent, they want to get it right, you may not be able to restore them to the original place, but, man, you can pour love and affirmation all over them. Isn't that good? See, that's God's goal. Now, here's the last thing this evening. And, man, this brings it together. And we better get this. To not handle the wrong things or to handle them improperly gives the devil an opening into your situation. Oh, pastor, I don't like to deal with confrontation. I don't like to deal with this. Join the club. But to not handle it or to not handle it properly gives the devil an opening. Look in verse 10 and 11. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. 
And what I have forgiven, is there anything to forgive? I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Look, at, look in verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, outmaneuver us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now let's go back to verse 7. Instead, you ought to forgive him and confront, comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Listen, you beat somebody down. You don't forgive them. You're not willing to restore them. You, you are pushing them in the arms of Satan. I'm not talking about a person who's unrepentant. I'm saying when a person's broken and sorrowful and they want to make things right and we won't restore them, we are pushing them in the devil's arms. But, be it your church, be it your workplace, be it your family, your extended family, be it among your friends at school, if you don't deal with the junk as it comes up, or you're not willing to handle it properly, here's what the Bible says. You are saying to the devil, come on, come on in. We've got to play right here. You sit here. Put a cowboy's jersey on and sit right here. I don't know if you know much about boxing, but a good boxer never drops his hands. A good fighter doesn't drop his hands. Why? He doesn't want to get hit in the face. In boxing, the, your most vulnerable spot is your face. You get hit in the temple, you get hit in the jaw, you can get knocked out. No matter how tough you are, those spots are vulnerable. You can't train and put muscles on your temple and your jaw. You will get knocked out. It happens in fights over and over. Great UFC fight back this summer. Great, great fighter. He was, being, he was being arrogant and egotistical, and he was dropping his hands like this, and his opponent knocked him out. Brandon and I saw it. just like that. See, that's what the Bible's saying here. When we don't deal with I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, It'll go away. No, dirty diapers don't change themselves. People who got issues a lot of times aren't going to change themselves. You don't deal with it. You're letting the devil have a shot to take you, your family, your church out. Make no mistake about it. The devil hates you, young person. He hates you, and he'll do anything he can to destroy us. If you were to go to the doctor this week, and the doctor said you have an an infected organ, and, and we don't need to take it out, but, man, we need to treat it. We need to get it healed we're going to give you antibiotics we put you in the hospital and an antibiotic drip we got to do everything we can to get that infected organ fixed because if we don't it's going to do what it's going to spread and mess up your whole body that's what god's saying here deal with the junk and deal with it properly so here's what we need to decide first as christians as a christian will you heed god's word tonight Will you believe that God's right in what he said? And will you decide and will I decide we're going to be the man or the woman God's called us to be and deal with life's tough stuff properly? Christian, I want to encourage you where you're standing or at the altar to make that decision. I also want to encourage you this. If you're part of a problem in your home or your, your church or in your community, on your athletic team, at your workplace, I want to challenge you to repent tonight. Get it right with God. You want to join our church? We would love for you to tonight. Come and make us be a better place. You're not a Christian. You come in a moment.
when we stand. Let's stand. You come and you give your life to Jesus. We'll be waiting down here at the altar for you.